Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 26 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host Peram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me of course is Jared Kimber as always you can find him everywhere. This show leans in hard on data and technology. So we are proud to work with HCL Tech, leaders in their field. Now, the title of this episode is Supermax because it's an episode dedicated to Glenn Maxwell's otherworldly effort versus Afghanistan in the World Cup and now Jared, Australia are reeling at 91 for 7 versus Afghanistan, chasing 292. Glenn Maxwell at this point is 22 and he's joined by Pat Cummins. They put on a partnership of over 200 and uh, yeah, they basically win an unwinnable game for Australia. It's crazy and uh, he scored half of those runs with no footwork whatsoever and just with his torso, Maxwell because of the injury that he had. right and uh, yeah he ended up with 201 of 128 deliveries which is ridiculous and in that process he became australia's highest ever scorer in odi and he also set the record for most runs by any batter number 6 or lower in an odi and also the highest score ever in a chase in the 50 over format make it make sense jared how is any of this real did you watch it yeah of course i did couldn't take my eyes off of it it was it was Yeah, so my uncle apparently I, I found this out the uh, the other day that he went to bed at six wickets down. Mm. So to be fair to him, he missed the seventh wicket, um, but uh, missed everything else. So he'd stayed up for ages and then you know um, decided to go to bed. It was a really interesting one because I kind of felt for a little while it was going to be a case of he would make a very important innings that didn't matter. Mm. Not important, sorry, a bit of very you know. In, I, I you might made a hundred off seventy balls and then go out, you know that, or sixty balls and go out. And then, even before he got to the hundred, I started looking at it and I was just like, well, there's, they don't know how to manufacture anything here, like they are just reacting to Maxwell. Hmm. And I think with Maxwell, you actually want to be, you want to be very proactive with Maxwell. Maxwell's good in a, like a. Imagine, not imaginative, but maybe that, a creative mindset. And actually what you want to do with Maxwell is you want to give him lots of different kinds of looks and ideas mm. and everything. And so he can try and beat each one of them, right? And that's not what Afghanistan were going for. Yeah. And, and all Cummins had to do was block at the other end. You could already work out the maths. Like it didn't matter if he, you know, made four not out, right? Like they were going to get pretty close to this score. It really is like, what are we, a week on? A week and a half on from when it happened? Probably exactly so, a week on. 
Yeah, it must be. Uh, was it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was? It's Tuesday. It was a week. Yeah. It's a long tournament. Hmm. This. Anyway, um, it still doesn't quite make sense. And like I watched it and was, was you know, uh, fixated by it. And yet it was just such a remarkable moment in one day cricket. And, you know, I was at the 2019 final, hmm. right? So I've seen some things mm -hmm. and I've seen some incredible innings. I saw Joss Butler batting in, in the West Indies and, um, you know, was at the 2003 final as well. Um, you know, I've seen some fantastic, and I've seen Maxwell make a hundred at the SCG. Like I've seen my stuff that was just on another level. And I don't think that I, I think there's a lot of people saying it was the best innings of all time at that stage. I don't think a week on, I'm like, ah, uh, we probably amped it up a little bit too much. Mm. That it may not be the best innings of all time, but it absolutely 100% has to be in any conversation for it. I mean, we're going to have that conversation towards the end of the podcast, but uh, that SCG 100 was also against Afghanistan, wasn't it? No, SCG 100 he made against Sri Lanka in a quarter final, hmm. I want to say, in 2015. He did score 100 versus Afghanistan. I do remember this. I don't think that that wasn't... Um, was that... Yeah, because he's only made 100 not in World Cups, hasn't he? Yeah, I think it was Adelaide. Afghanistan, Adelaide. Might have been. Might be wrong over here. But as Australia, but are you sure? Is that not a T20? No. It was a 50-over World Cup. I think it was the one in 2015 in Australia. Nah, that was definitely um, Sri Lanka. Oh, well, I might have gotten I, that one wrong. But um, anyway. Yeah, I think it was the quarterfinal again. I, the only reason I know is because I was there. Well, I mean, the quarterfinal um, was versus Pakistan in which Rahadari dropped that catch. That I remember. Oh, was it? Oh, mm -hmm. Maybe I'm getting confused then. But... Um, just having a look. He made 100 versus Sri Lanka, uh, 102 of 53 balls in at SCG. Hmm. Um, and it was incredible. Like, I, I remember fighting with um, – oh, you're right. It was a pool game. Hmm. You're right. The, um, uh, but they made 376. I remember fighting with Sam Babal, who was my editor, who hmm. refused – I wrote an article about how ridiculous that innings was. Um, and I think um, – yeah, I wrote it like he was a cartoon character, and Krikifo wouldn't run it. Mm. Um, and I was really, really upset because they they wanted something more serious. And I was like, it wasn't serious batting. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was just remarkable. And to think that that is now not even close to the best innings mm. I've seen him play in one day cricket is it just tells you so much about Glenn Maxwell and what he can do. I mean, it's ridiculous that he scored the fastest ever 100 in a World Cup in this very edition. And that's not the innings that we're talking about in this podcast. It's mm. the double 100. But anyway, um, Glenn Maxwell, whilst on tour in this World Cup, he got a concussion after falling off of a golf cart, right? And I remember you tweeting, ban golf. Well, those golf skills came in handy you know, in Maxwell's six hitting. And uh, has that changed your opinion, Jared, on golf? No, no, golf should be banned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got Johnny Bairstow and Glenn Maxwell. So they're more oh, I don't mean for cricketers. Hmm. I mean for all society. Okay, okay, well, there's that. And, uh, you know, they say fortune favors the brave. And Maxwell did enjoy his fair share of luck in this innings. Of course, he was dropped twice. And one of them was a, one of those catches was a dolly, right? Mujib should have hmm. hung on to that. In fact, if it was any well, other cricketer. Other than Mujib. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> was it a dolly for him? <laughs> because I'm not sure. Have you, have you ever seen Moneyball? Yes, I have. There's a great line in Moneyball when the guy is, he moves to first base um, for the first time and he says, what's your biggest fear? Hmm. And he says, a baseball being hit anywhere in my general direction. <laughs> right? And 
Mujib. A, a friend of mine said, oh, that's got to be fixed. And I was like, I've seen him drop like eight of those catches in my life. Yeah. Like the amount of times Mujib has managed to drop a catch that simple is, it's, you know, absolutely remarkable at mm. this point. The other one was, I think the other one was more of a miscommunication, wasn't it? It yeah. goes up in the air. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think Rashid called it, mm. but he wasn't the closest to it. And then he didn't go for it. Then obviously the other fielder was, uh, um, was it Nabi? No. Was it Hashmatullah? It might have been Hashmatullah, actually. Mm. You might be right. But whoever it was, was just a little bit slow moving. And it would have been a freakish catch if he'd taken it in the end because he was out of position. Yeah. But let's not forget that Nur Ahmed, I mean, Maxwell starts to walk. Mm. He is so convinced he's out for an LBW um, when he sees the replay and it's bouncing over the stumps. So yeah, it had, it had fortune. I mean, so uh, most of the, the best sort of re- like Stokes's innings, mm-hmm. right? Stokes should have been out LBW. Yeah. Does that make Stokes's innings worse, cool. right? You know, both of them's innings, um, you know, all those sorts of great rear guard innings, especially when you're attacking mm. like that, generally come with a sense of uh, luck I- I- involved in them because you shouldn't be able to attack uh, the way that you do and not, you know, not get some luck along the way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, in all of those great knocks, there is some element of luck. Very few of them would be chanceless. But what I was trying to get at was, you know, two dropped catches. Then, of course, that LBW review that you mentioned, he was given out, but he reviewed, he survived. He also nearly departed on that hat-trick ball of Umarzai, right? I mean, they did yeah. appeal. They did review it as well, but it had hit the bat or pad. I can't remember exactly. But he was, No, it hit the bat. Yeah. You're right, yeah. And I think because it died before it got to the keeper, yeah. they assumed that it hit the yes, pad. Yes, yes. It's a brilliant ball, though. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Also, there's another small one as well, mm. which is when he runs out Marnus, um, that would have been... Hey, yeah. he ran out Marnus. <laughs> um, it would have been very, very easy at that stage for um, for Marnus to just say no. Mm. And Maxwell would have been absolutely sold up the river if that had happened. So there's all these yeah. micro moments that could have gone that way. But I think when you go through the great, especially the great limited overs innings, mm. it's far more common than you would ever care to admit. And people don't like to... In the moment, everyone's like, oh, it's not a really... It's like, well, wait a minute. Like... Uh, We've seen this before. Let's yeah. chillax a little bit. These things are part and parcel of the game. And of course, uh, they say fortune favors the brave for a reason. But what I was trying to ask, uh, building up to at least with all of this stuff, is that, you know, after all of this luck, Australia were also like in a really dire position. So the luck coupled with Australia's position, is that, do you think that has or did empower Maxwell to play the way that he did? Is that the reason? Oh, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the luck probably, but honestly, it was more the position. Like, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like, you, you know, as someone who's played a lot of cricket, you just get to that point where, and, and I've played those innings myself, um, where sometimes you attack, sometimes you defend, mm. you know, depending on the match situation, what you're trying to do. But there's, there's no pressure on you because the pressure is already gone. The game is over. Mm. Right. And realistically, it's only from the, 120 onwards when the pressure actually goes back onto Maxwell. And by that stage, he'd broken Afghanistan's will anyway. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, th- there was a point in the innings where he plays a reverse shot and he misses it. And it's terrible. Mm. Then he gets half a bat on another reverse shot. Then he gets an inside edge back through his legs and he's laughing, right? Yeah. And he wouldn't be, he wouldn't have been doing that in normal innings. He's doing that because he can't believe he's got this close and now the luck is going his way and everything else. And that is a, a perfect case uh, situation of a, just a player getting to that point and, you know, kind of feeling like, oh, look, if I go out, 
I've already made a hundred and I gave him a fair shake. Yeah. Um, and no one really expected this to happen. Uh, you know, that, that is not a thing you would see in a normal innings. And if he played those same, I think it was three shots in the space of an over, maybe even two overs, uh, when he played all those shots, if he'd done that in a normal game, right, in a normal chase, the pressure of the situation would have got to him a little bit more. Yeah. It didn't get to him because he still wasn't really expecting to pull that off. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I like how you said reverse shot because it wasn't a sweep. It was more like a reverse slap. And uh, yeah, yeah, only Glenn Maxwell could probably do that, right? Because we've seen other people. No, I'm talking. There was one where he got like it went past first slip. Do you remember the one? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not talking about the great one that he yeah. hit everywhere. There's another one where he just got like he just. There was a, a little period, and I reckon now, looking back on it, it's probably when his body starts to cramp up, hmm. right? Of a little period of where he just plays a bunch of bad shots in a row, um, and it's probably because he he was thinking, "I'm about to fall apart here." And then somehow he pulls through that and, and you know, and, and goes on. But just before it got really, really bad, he, his technique fell apart. And it fell apart later, but it fell apart in a way, way later that actually helped him. Mm. Whereas early on, it was not helping him. Yeah, I think someone had tweeted that uh, I want to have whatever Glenn Maxwell had. And I was like, well, he probably had pickle juice and some painkillers and a whole lot of beer afterwards. So, yeah, you can... I hope you didn't drink beer afterwards because that would not help the dehydration. But I see your point. Do not uh, try that at home. We are not promoting or endorsing this. But anyway, another fun stat is that Maxwell scored about 69% of his team's runs. And that's quite remarkable. And in that partnership with Pat Cummins, he scored about eight or over 88% of the runs. 179 out of what, 202. And 72% of Glenn Maxwell's runs came in boundaries. 144 runs, Mm. 21 fours and 10 sixes and that is wild it's crazy well i i think the the bigger thing is that th- there were people who who would say things like oh the injury actually helped him because you know mm. he could just focus on hitting boundaries and everything else and i'm like i mean yes other than the fact that he literally felt like his body like when you have cramp at that level mm. you feel like your body's going to snap right mm. and sometimes especially when you can't stop it you really do think like your body's going to snap also, he couldn't move the way he wanted to, and he loves moving around the crease. So it didn't really help him, mm. right? And then on top of that, he can't run. Yeah. So, yes, there's a certain clarity of thought that he got, you know, mm. the Gordon Greenwich clarity of thought when you're, when you're injured, when you shouldn't be winning this game anyway, when even if you fail, it doesn't matter. All those things play a part. But that doesn't actually take away from the degree of difficulty for him to suddenly go, Okay, well, I'll just need to hit two boundaries every over hmm. from here on in. And so I'm going to do that. That is still an incredibly hard thing to do, especially if you are Maxwell and you like to move around your crease. And now you're incredibly crease bound, yeah. um, you know, because of that. Yeah, and uh, it's important to take into context that Australia needed 200 more runs with three wickets in hand and they didn't have a lot of overs. They had 31 odd overs to get those runs. So, you know, you mentioned how Glenn Maxwell was cramping when. It seemed like he had kind of, you know, spasmed his back as well because he, you know, was on the floor a couple of times. Adam Zampa came out to bat like twice. He was at the boundary rope, but he was sent back. Mm. And that just goes on to show you the severity of Maxwell's condition at that point, right? He was really, really, he was injured and he should not have Mm. been batting out there. But Pat Cummins, his captain, was on the other end and he was like, we got to win this game. But do you think that... Well, I think severe cramp, Hmm. um, as someone who gets severe cramp, quite often moves up your body as well. Ah. So, so when I broke my arm, mm. I got cramp in both feet and that I it moved up my legs and it ended up in my back and then went to my broken arm. Yeah. So literally it just, the cramp just kept going up my body because I couldn't, 
lean forward to stretch out the first bit. So, and, and you really like, for those who've never had, and I'm talking about severe cramp. So when I get cramp in my calf, mm. which is probably where I get mine the most often, it feels like sometimes the bone is just going to snap. Mm. Now it isn't, right? Well, it's I hope it doesn't. I've never actually looked into whether you can do that, but I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't. But that's how much, and it gets in your brain. And then it's not just that your body gets gnarled up, which is obviously an issue, especially if you're an international player in the middle of a cricket game. It's also, you start to panic because you don't, you know, you can't control when it's going to come. Mm. Right. So it's, it's not a normal, in, it's not like the Gorner Greenwich injury or, you know, the Rick McCosker injury or the Elise Perry injury. And we've seen obvious, uh, who, who else? Um, uh, uh, Rizwan had it, and was it another player in this tournament had pretty bad cramps? I mean, as well, England, along. the entire team was cramping in one of those games. I can't remember which one it yeah. was. The South African Yeah, team, England might I think. Yeah. So, look, we know that other players have had it, but those other players didn't make a double century while they had it, right? Yeah. Like, we, you need to also factor in that he was still whacking sixes while this was all happening. I mean, I've had a cramp, and sometimes when I'm asleep and it, you know, uh, mm you know, knocks the living daylights out of me. I can't sleep after that mm. for a bit because that's how much it hurts. And this guy's out on a cricket field playing a World Cup game and doing the unthinkable. Like, this is still mad. I, every time I think about it, I just cannot believe that we've actually witnessed this. And like you said, you were there for the 2019 World Cup final. And yet, this is one of those things that, you know, is, is outrageous. And uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it on a cricket field. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you think Afghanistan mm -hmm. missed a trick over here by not making Maxwell move more? Maybe some wide Yorkers, maybe some bouncers. I mean, you kept bowling it in the slot. And okay, fine. There's a big slot over there, right? Glenn Maxwell has powerful wrists. So the, the slot zone is bigger than other batters and he doesn't just doesn't need to do much. But yeah, I just feel like they could have done more, the Afghan bowlers. I mean, they could have, but this is what happens when you start to panic in a game like this, right? Mm. Like, I think people people always look at it from their sofa. It's as someone who who who's worked in the game, and I saw our team do this in a much shorter time frame. Mm. Of uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast before, but the Darren Bravo game when he you know Darren Bravo um, does something that is just absolutely extraordinary, and you don't expect at least with Maxwell, it's you know um, you expect it, right? Like. You know, no one's expecting Darren Bravo to suddenly come in mm. um, and have a strike rate of 380, um, <laughs> you know, or whatever it was in that particular game. You don't I even expect remember, Dwayne Bravo to do that, honestly. 380 is... Do you know what I mean? So, so you know, um, it was... I watched the team go from playing really smart cricket to making maybe one mistake. And then from there, they couldn't pull it back. And everything they did that they thought, okay, well, we'll try this now, didn't work. Right. And it's all well and good to go, oh, we, they should have bowled. The, I always think you should bowl short to um, mm. Maxwell, right? Um, because even though he, 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 especially when he's in a mood, mm. um, I think he can put good pressure on him. But they didn't, they only have one frontline seamer, right? Mm. They really only had one seamer they probably wanted to bowl short mm. because Omar's eye, as talented as he, as he may be, um, I really think that if you had a bold short to him, um, you, you're looking at a 30 run over, right? Mm. Like you might, maybe you'd say, well, it's worth it for the wicket, but they were probably thinking, well, it's not. They were playing very conservative cricket mm. all the way through this tournament, right? Um, to suddenly think that they were going to go out there and, and do all that sort of stuff, I think is probably a little bit um, unrealistic, right? right? 
um, uh, you know, to, to see them to see them go that way. For the the wide Yorkers, um, uh, let's have a look. Uh, where are we here? Uh, I'm just trying to bring it up. Oh no, I've got the length wrong. Um, I never because I never got a chance to look at all this, but mm -hmm. it was something that I definitely wanted to look at. But if we if we look at what the seamers did to him, so he faced. Um, he didn't face that many balls off the seamers altogether because they only had one full timer in there. True. So wide outside off stump and full, they bowled seven wide Yorkers. Mm -hmm. Would you like to know what his strike rate was off those balls? What was it? Three hundred and fifty. Holy shit! So they did try it. Mm. They tried it seven times, um, and he got a couple away for six, and mm. got a couple away for four. Is was my memory of that. So it's funny we don't remember that now. Yeah. And the, there's a reason you don't bowl fast Yorkers to Glenn Maxwell wide of the off stump. Mm. Why is that? Because he reverses. Because he reverses, mm. and you're actually bowling into one of his hitting zones. Mm. And yes, he was cramping up. And you might argue, well, at that at that case, you don't go for it. They bowled six short balls um, to him as well, and they bowled another seven back of a length balls. The back of the length balls got smashed. The short balls didn't. Hmm. You could argue that they should have bowled a few more bounces, but they bowled six short balls out of about thirty balls, which is a way higher ratio than you would normally see. Yeah, right. So they did try those things. Hmm. Interesting. But you know, we're never going to remember that because. We just remember the reverse sweep and everything else. And you've got to remember, with the wide Yorker, chances are you will bowl a wide. Mm -hmm. And also, in, in the case of, of Maxwell, he has two shots he can play off that. Earlier this tournament, was it the Sri Lanka game? No, who did he break the world record against? Um, Netherlands? Netherlands. Yeah. Netherlands. He plays a game, uh, he plays a shot in that game from a wide Yorker where he picks it up off the front foot and lifts it over backward point for six. Mm. Right? And he can play the reverse sweep. It's not a negative place to bowl to him. Plus, he's a Victorian cricketer used to bowling on bouncy wickets. He is used to the short ball. I always think it's worth bowling the short ball to him. Mm. But it, also, I've seen him, you know, hook two and three sixes in a row as well. There's no there's no ball that you can bowl to a guy in that kind of uh, thing. I think that what they should have done is maybe, as I said before, give him different looks. Mm. So one ball, maybe, maybe two balls in a row, you bowl um, back of a length, in at his body from wide on the crease as a seam bowler, right? And then the next ball, you go around the wicket and you bowl wide Yorkers outside off stump. Mm. Um, and then you bowl a Yorker at leg stump. Then you go back over the wicket again. You get close to the stumps um, and, you know, you, you, you try and bowl a, a straight length ball to him at the top of the ball. Give him, that's what I would have done. But again, it's very easy to say that. That is not a, nothing, nothing I've just said then is a normal plan. And they weren't ready for that, right? Yeah. They, they would have been, they would have been in, I, I can almost explain to you what would have happened with Afghanistan. They would have started off by, by going, well, this can't last. He should have been out OBW. Mm -hmm. He should have been out court twice. This will finish in a little while. Then they would have got to a point where they're just like, okay, we're going to have to try, start trying things. Then he would have hit a bunch of boundaries. Then they get to the point of, oh, my God, we're not going to be able to stop him here. Yeah. Right? That's a very normal thing that we see in those kinds of innings. But you know what usually happens, Bayram? Is eventually he hits the ball straight up in the air or Pat Cummins goes out and then they run through the guys at the other end. Yeah. Right? That's usually what would happen in that situation. Did not happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was an absolute spectacle. And I mean, the conversation at that point was how much of a net run rate bump will Afghanistan get? The conversation was never that Australia are going to pull off a heist. So yeah, they've been robbed, the Afghans and uh, Maxwell is also the first batter to score a double hundred who is not batting in the top order. And this, this I think, mm -hmm. is really interesting, right? Because 
I mean, forget top order, he was batting at six, right? And that just makes this more incredible. And they're all openers, aren't they? Everyone else who's ever made a double hundred, is yeah. that right? And, you know, we don't know what the future of ODI cricket is. It is a dying format. We don't know how much of it is left. But even if someone goes on to score a double hundred in the second innings of an ODI, I doubt that anyone's scoring it, you know, at number six. I mean, that has to be an eternal record at this point. I suppose the way that T20 cricket has changed things, we would have to say that if one day cricket lasted another 15 years, maybe someone would do it again. Hmm. But it feels like it would need to be an equally fluky situation, <laughs> right? Like, and I don't mean fluky as in he didn't have any skill, but I mean something's happened and you're, you know, you're chasing 400 or something or you know, your top order, you, your top order's gone and you just sit there and go, okay, I'm just going to sit here swinging until they get me out here or so, something like that, you know, where a, a rare confluence of events happens. Um, but yes, uh, it's, you know, it's remarkable that it happened chasing. It's remarkable that it happened from number six. It's remarkable that it happened seven wickets down. Like the further you go down the list, the more, uh, you know, check uh, points, it, 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 checkpoints, checklist, whatever, yeah. tick box. Check you know box. what I'm trying to say. That's what you're trying to say. Check boxes. Mm. Yeah. As, <laughs> as that old phrase has always been, um, that you start to tick off because it is just so weird. Yeah. It just kept getting weirder, right? And uh, like even when they had a hundred and maybe even less than a hundred runs left when Warner started cramping and stuff like that and they had like 60, 70 to get, I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is it. At this point, Australia lose, but they've given us a great game. But uh, I suppose... I, th I think I was with you. I think when mm -hmm. I saw that, that was my first thought was, wow, at least that we had some fun. Mm -hmm. And I thought he'd have to come off the field because yeah. I thought his cramping was that extreme. I knew he could get past it because I know how cramping works, but I thought it's too bad he's going to have to come off the field. And I was like you, I was like, well, this will be an innings that, you know, a few cricket heads will remember, but no one else will ever remember. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just did not do that. No, no, no. This is a cricket innings that no one will ever forget. It's etched in not just World Cup lore, but just ODI cricket lore. And there could even be a case, I know we're going to talk about, talk about it later, but this could be the greatest limited overs innings of all time, really. Um, but of course, that's a different conversation, probably would require, require a separate podcast. I think it would be unfair if we do not talk about Pat Cummins in this podcast. I know it's about mm -hmm. Supermax, but uh, an unbeaten 12 of 68 deliveries soaking up all of that pressure and cheering Maxwell on the entire time. This is the longest that Pat Cummins has ever survived in an ODI innings. And, you know, he's mastered, or, well, he not, not long ago mastered that chase in the Edge Baston Ashes test, right, uh, with Nathan Lyon. So he's becoming quite dependable at this chasing thing. Yeah, he. Oh, pardon me. Um, look, the thing with Pat Cummins is he can't bat. Hmm. His record is actually way more. Like I would say, he has. He should be a better bat than say Mitchell Johnson, hmm. right? And Mitchell Johnson was really good in certain situations, but I think Mitchell Johnson's record is probably far superior to Pat Cummins. Yeah. Um, and I think Pat sometimes when he bats gets a little bit in his own head. He gets into you know, sort of weird funks. He's not a very good player of spin. Mm -hmm. So this was a really interesting inning for him. He, you know, um, uh, he, he can, he kind of only has two modes, Cummins usually, which is slog or defend. Um, but he can do both of them quite well. But look, it was, it was fantastic. And he probably scores more, of course, if Maxwell can run because hmm. they would have uh, changed strike a little bit more. Um, so in some ways, they played it more like it's a test. Um, innings where you're playing with the tail than they would have normally in one day cricket. Um, but yeah, look, Pat Cummins has now played quite a few innings. I, I was there when 
it wasn't long after he came back the first time and he was playing uh, for the Thunder and they were batting him at number seven. And, and he played a brilliant innings that, that day as well. Maybe he hit 20 or 30 and, and some beautiful striking. Hmm. And I remember thinking, if he, if he actually got injured again, <laughs> went back working on his batting, he could bat at number seven for Australia. And it's never happened. But as you said, being, I think being a captain has mm. given him extra focus with the bat. He also, while being captain, moved Mitchell Stark ahead of him in the order because Mitchell Stark was batting better than him. Mm. So there's no ego there. Like he, you know, he's doing what is best for the team, and I think that's one thing that we've seen from him a lot. Um, it was a, it's a hilarious innings because uh, I think was it on Crick Info's MVP ranking they had him as like minus a thousand or something, right? <laughs> and and yet it was. The second best innings that Australia played. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because what was the next best score? Twenty four or something? I'd read Pat Cummins. I can't even remember. Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd put that ahead of that uh, other innings or whatever. He was definitely the second best batter on the day. And it's interesting, right? Because you mentioned the whole captain thing and how he's shouldering more responsibility and there's no ego. If you remember when we were doing like Ashes podcasts, we talked about mm-hmm. Pat Cummins' pragmatism. And that's what we kind of saw in this game as well. There was a yeah. very clear plan. Okay, don't run. I'll block out an entire over. Then take your chances. And I think that was tactically great move. And the fact that Maxwell had his skipper at the other end, that would have helped Glenn as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Maxwell generally, I think Cummins said afterwards that Maxwell is going to be Maxwell, so hmm. you don't really do much. And And look, Everyone I've ever known who's worked with him, and obviously I've worked with him as well, that's kind of what you do, right? You let Maxwell be Maxwell. Mm. But but I think it, having Cummins at the other end allowed him just to be like, well, if the captain's saying it's okay, then I might as well keep going. Yeah. Also, from an Afghanistan point of view, you do not go into a one-day international assuming that you're going to have Cummins at one end and Maxwell at the other. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was a... It was a bizarre situation in what was already a very bizarre situation to have. Um, maybe looking back on it, they put in a couple of slips for mm-hmm. Cummins. Uh, you know, a close-in catcher. He likes to prop on that front foot a little bit. Maybe a leg slip for, some, you know, Nur Ahmed or someone uh, or Nabi. Um, you know, those sorts of situations a little bit more. Not, not that they didn't have some catches in, of course, but put give, give Cummins a completely different thing of like, okay, well, we know you can't play um uh spin bowling very well in limited overs cricket we're going to give you a complete in and out field there's going to be five guys on the boundary and four guys around your bat Hmm. right now what do you do but again that's going back to the whole we we can now look at it and we know that maxwell's going to make 200 so we have to stop him making 200 Mm -hmm. that wasn't really the case watching this innings yeah yeah not at all and you said bizarre but i think everything that we witnessed that day was like two or three notches above bizarre and uh, yeah, I mean, the only other ODI that comes close, well, two ODIs come close, is the 438 chase by South Africa. And then there mm-hmm. is the 2019 World Cup final. And then there's this game. Those are the three craziest games I've ever watched in my life. But coming back to Glenn Maxwell now, uh, you mentioned that he's a bit of an outlier in World Cup cricket, given that even before this double hundred, he was the fastest ever scorer in history of the tournament, right? And mm-hmm. outside World Cup cricket, he has 100, of course, as you mentioned prior. And in, in World Cup cricket, he has three. And you just, you know, beg to ask the question that do higher stakes bring out the best in Glenn Maxwell? Well, you'd have to say no, right? Because he's as good as he's been in T20 cricket. It's not like he's dominated the IPL every year. True. Right? He hasn't had like an AB de Villiers or Joss Butler-like career in the IPL. Hmm. So I would say no. 
Um, and, and that sounds absolutely bizarre, but I just don't see how you could make that claim. I think that Australia's never quite understood how to handle him. Hmm. And a lot of this goes back to Andrew Simons. And I don't think I went into it in the piece because it wasn't that kind of piece. But Australia spent years trying to slow Simons down because what they wanted was someone who would score around about a run a ball at an average of 40 because hmm. they didn't understand that or the ability to score at uh, average 30 at a strike rate of 140 can give you just a dimension that, you know, it, no one's going to want ever bowl to Andrew Simons again. And they tried to do the same thing to Glenn Maxwell. And I think if it wasn't for T20 cricket, they would have, hmm. right? I honestly think that the reason Maxwell could do what he wanted is he Australia was no longer his most important employer. He had two important employers. And one of them was like, and especially, you know, Glenn Maxwell spent a lot of his career working um, uh, uh, with uh, Trent Woodhill, who's obviously David Warner, Shane Watson, uh, Virat Kohli, A.B. DeVuz, but he's known as Steve Smith's, you know, batting whisperer, right? Hmm. And Trent Woodhill is a madman. And I say that because <laughs> he's a mate. But I think that Trent pushed Maxi to go as hard as he could, as often as he could. And, and eventually, Trent would become an Australian batting coach as well, which is hilarious. Obviously, he worked with Pakistan and New Zealand at times as well. But I think there was an element of Trent was the little devil in his ear and everyone else was going, you know. So there, there was a really uh, uh, one issue with Maxwell where they were literally saying to Maxwell, um, you don't train correctly in the nets. Hmm. And Maxwell was like, I don't think that's true. I think I do train correctly in the nets. I think I train for how I want to play in the nets in the best way that works for me. And, cricket, and Australian cricket coaches did not want him to go that way. And if it wasn't for T20 cricket, I just don't think he would have been allowed to do that. Um, and because of T20 cricket, he was allowed and he's become that player. Um, and so there's always been a push and pull. George Ravel always says this. He says, Australia never quite understood what they had in Glenn Maxwell, hmm. and they were trying to make him into something else. And I think he's talking more from a test cricket perspective, but he's right right across the board. They never they wanted Maxwell to be what they wanted Maxwell to be, and they never really allowed for Maxwell to be Maxwell. Hmm. Right? And I think that was the whole final word thing of, you know, on their podcast, they always talk about let Maxi be Maxi or, or whatever their, you know, um, I think it's let Maxi be Maxi. But, uh, that is, I think, the best way of handling him. Mm -hmm. And I think Australia's lucky that they didn't, he didn't leave Australian cricket or didn't get frustrated with Australian. Well, he certainly got frustrated, but, you know, he had to fight for a lot of what he got. You're talking about a guy who, when he first played for Victoria, would bat at number eight, right? Um, and wouldn't bowl. And, you know, the running joke in Victorian cricket was he was there to field, right? <laughs> He's come such a long way from that. I remember one year, him and Matthew Wade fighting over who would be the number four uh, batter for Victoria so they get into the Australian team, right, mm. as a batter. Like, he's always been fighting for his space, um, but he's at his absolute best when you just kind of let him do what he does. But you have to accept there will be failure. Yeah. Fly, Maxwell. Fly. And uh, I think uh, it's a very, very valid point you've raised over here about the utilization of Glenn Maxwell. And maybe if we'd never had T20 cricket, maybe we wouldn't even have these sort of games at all, right? Because hmm. it makes you, you dare to dream when these sort of things happen, uh, especially when you have a precedent set that T20 cricket, anything is possible, right? Anything can be chased down, whatever. We've seen some crazy stuff in franchise T20s and even internationals on a few occasions. But um, coming to the burning question, I suppose, and all things considered, the injury and the situation and the way he batted and all those shots and the fact that Australia was seven down, needed 200 plus runs. 
is this the best knock ever that we've seen in a World Cup? Or better yet, is this the greatest ODI innings of all time? I mean, I'll shortlist uh, a few for you, right? For me, the Kapil Dev 175 is a big one. Crazy how that mm-hmm. game wasn't even being televised. But India would have lost to Zimbabwe. Who's to say what would have happened? But that 175 was a big one. Kevin O'Brien's 100 versus England was also a big one. That came in a chase. So that's important. And uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned Viv's 189. West Indies were in really, you know, dire situation themselves. and Put on he, 100 for the last wicket. Basically, yeah. And his yeah. percentage of runs compared to West Indies team runs, that was also a really high percentage. I just want to fit It wasn't in, a chase either. Yeah, it wasn't a chase either. But... Uh, just because of the whole chasing element of this, I want to put the Herschel Gibbs innings in here, right? The 175 versus yeah, Australia. I, so Herschel Gibbs, I think the one I forgot to mention in the piece was the 264 from Rohit. I can't remember if that's in there or, or not. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that I don't think we believe that Brian Lara making 400 is the best innings of all time. Mm. Um, and the Herschel Gibbs and the Rohit Sharma knocks, they're both magnificent knocks. Like you don't, you don't, take anything away from those players to be able mm-hmm. to do what they did but they were in very high scoring games right right and and i think that i think it's i think it's fair to say that there is a big difference between that it, it like there's been how many great hundreds and triple hundreds have we seen in test cricket and yet what do we talk about as the best innings of all time mm-hmm. we talk about the best innings not of the ones that where someone has scored two or three hundred runs right mm-hmm. we talk about the best innings of all time stokes um, at headingly Kusal Pereira versus South Africa, exactly. those are two that come to mind. You know, that uh, um, those sorts of games are the ones that we talk about, um, you know, the best the best play, uh, the best innings of all time. Fourth innings and hundreds, think, right? Fourth innings hundreds are huge. No, no, d- yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and so if you look at the Rohit one, I'm sorry, I'm just bringing it up now. So Rohit makes 264 um, from facing 173 balls. You know, Virat strokes an effort, effort, effortless. It's not effortless for me to say it. 66. <laughs> um, no one else from India really makes all that many runs. Um, but the middle order of, um, of Sri Lanka, you have a couple of guys make 75 and 59. Clearly a batting wicket where India um, just are so far on top in that game that, you know, they just absolutely dominate a little bit. That's not to say that it shouldn't deserve to be in the top 10, right? Herschel Gibbs is m- even more of an outlier in that in that regard, in that, you know, you, I reckon you would have made 36 or 36 in that game, right? <laughs> I mean, like, Jock really failed bought... in that game, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was, that's because he, he would have got, got a nosebleed scoring at the rate um, <laughs> of that game. So, so I, 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 it's not that I don't rate those innings because I think they were absolutely fantastic. And you can throw Martin Gupta's 200 in from the World Cup. Uh, A.B. De Villiers against the West Indies. There's been some fantastic in it. Chris Gale also scored a double uh, versus Zimbabwe, I believe. Yep. Very few of those games, though, was all the other things that are stacked up against Maxwell. Yeah. Which is having to bat with the tail, having to be injured, having to be chasing, you know, all, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, losing lots of wickets. So, you know, the, the, um, uh, the row hit game, for instance, Right, there isn't really a lot of pressure on Rohit um, mm-hmm. in that situation. Of uh, let's have a look, they lost a wicket at forty runs, they lost a wicket at fifty nine runs, and they lost a wicket at two hundred and seventy six. Mm-hmm. So maybe a mini collapse in the middle, yeah, right, and, and and that's about it. You can't compare that to being ninety one for seven in a World Cup game mm-hmm. that you 
pretty much have to win. Not 100%. It's a bit more like the Capital Dev game. It's kind of in, in the middle ground a little bit there. But you pretty much have to win. Um, and you're miles behind and you, you're going to lose that game, right? That's a whole different pressure. Also, you lose a couple of wickets in a bilateral game um, or, or even if you're chasing 400-odd. If Herschel Gibbs um, had lost a bunch of wickets around him, um, it didn't matter because it wasn't that important a game, right? Uh, so I just think from that perspective, it is very hard to to put those innings against it. And I, I throw in what I put in AB de Villiers and I put in the Martin Guptill innings. I'd also throw in the first double hundred by uh, Sachin Dadilka. Hmm. All of these are absolutely fantastic knocks. And I think they deserve so much credit and we should be talking about them forever. But the level of difficulty in those innings, I don't think actually rivals what we saw from Glenn Maxwell, what we saw from Kapil Dev, what we saw from Kevin O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in the World Cup final innings, which I think are really, really interesting as well. Gilly versus Sri Lanka. But again, uh, first innings, um, squash ball controversy. Uh, even though squash. that doesn't That matter. is not a controversy. That is oh not. I don't know why they um, made that into a big thing in the first place. But uh, yes, yeah, I think you're... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think I think the, the Gilly one is um like a, any World Cup inning. So what you you had Gilly there, you could put Ponting in. Mm-hmm. Um you could put in uh, Clive Lloyd's innings, uh Collis King. Collis King's was a fantastic innings, especially Collis King doing it without being that kind of player. Like everyone mm-hmm. else we're talking about is kind of a bit of a legend, right? And yeah. that's not quite the the case in that particular game. Um so Aravinda, yeah, I, I think there's Aravinda as well. Yeah, exactly. Aravinda, another fantastic inning. So there's there's so many of those kinds of innings that um that I thought were a little bit different, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know. But like I'm just I just bring up the Herschel Gibbs one now. So when Herschel Gibbs goes out, uh, yes, they're chasing 400, and obviously no one really expects that. But they were 299 for four, mm-hmm. right? That is not the same as being 17 for five against Zimbabwe on a green top, right? Yeah. Uh, that is not the same as needing uh, ha- having lost all your top order and you're chasing over 300 against um, England in a World Cup final like Kevin O'Brien did. It's certainly not the case of what, what Maxwell had to do here. Those are just more difficult. And there's a reason why we tend to say the best innings of all time are in the fourth innings mm-hmm. because generally there's so many things stacked up. And here you have, he's batting with the tail, he's 200 runs behind, there's a time limit on the amount of runs he needs to score. Yep. He gets cramped. He has to change his batting style all the way through. There's just so many layers to it that mm-hmm. I find it hard not to put it up at, at that absolute top level of performance. Um, and, you know, I I think that it's almost the, the Rohit, Herschel Gibbs, Sachin, Guptal, AB DeVille's innings are, and, and, uh, are separate. And then almost the World Cup final innings are separate again. But if you're talking about just degree of difficulty, you know, then uh, this was a quadruple pike in from the tuck position i don't know anything about diving so i may have got that wrong but it's hard <laughs> is what i'm saying yeah no no i think all the things that you mentioned over there the fact that australia were 91 for seven they needed 200 and you know 31 odd overs max the guy at the other injured. end w- wasn't yeah the guy at the other end wasn't making any runs yeah and they couldn't run between wickets right there were so many mm-hmm. different things happening yeah yeah and i mean he his condition was, uh, he was uh, handicapped at one point and yet his shots did not end. He defied all those laws of physics. And I think a big one over here is that, sure, you mentioned that it's a World Cup game, but here is a game in which Australia could really fuck up their chances, right? Mm-hmm. Things could really go south from here if Australia lose by 150. 
I think it's very similar to the Capital Dev one of, hmm. in, in the end, neither of those games are the reason they went through to the next round, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, if they had lost to Afghanistan, remember, Bangladesh made over 300 against them the following game, hmm. right? It gets a little bit more interesting. And it's the same with the Capital Dev game of, yeah, they won the next game against Australia. But if they'd been bowled out for 80 against Zimbabwe, <laughs> maybe they wouldn't have won the next game against Australia. Like, yeah. you know, confidence and all these sorts of things play a part in how you play your cricket. Um, and that's a very fair argument to have. Um, I, I would say in the Capital Dev innings and the um, Maxwell innings, mm. the only other thing I would say is I think it was very hard to bat early. I don't think it was very hard to bat late because Zimbabwe mm. went on to bat pretty well in their second innings in their game. And obviously, Cummins wasn't really troubled all that much. And Kevin O'Brien's one is a little bit different in that it was a pretty good batting wicket. It was just that he lost his top order and he's from an associate nation and he only ever played three incredible innings in his life. Um, it just happened to be that one of them was that day. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's all these different variables. And I love the Viv Richards innings as well. But my point would be, Bayram, that it would be hard to say that this doesn't profile as an innings that could be the greatest ODI um, knock of all time. And I think that's an important, that's an important separate thing. It, it, would be ve- it would be very hard for anyone to wipe this off. I saw people saying like, oh, it was against a bunch of uh, a farmer's attack. And I'm like, half of these bowlers are ranked in like the top 15 ODI bowlers in the world. Yeah. And his team was 91 for seven, mm-hmm. right? And other people going, well, he got dropped and he didn't get that DRS, whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty common again when mm-hmm. you're playing these kinds of innings, right? Like uh, you expect, Almost any time you make a hundred, you expect to be dropped. Mm-hmm. We never talk about that because it's a people don't like it, right? But it's actually really true that it, it, you know, or you get an LBW that should have been given and the umpire didn't give it out, or you know, or something else happens like that. Um, you know, these things happen over and over again in those kinds of innings, and uh, I, I just don't think you can downplay it the way that people tried to. Um, and I can understand that because so many people were saying it was the greatest innings of all time automatically so oh well pump the brakes we need to Hmm. you know we need to have a look at this first but a week later i still find it it still profiles exactly as one of the greatest innings of all time and deserves its chance at the title yeah i mean uh, when i was viewing it and after like you were left a bit numb right after that viewing experience Hmm. And I thought to myself, is this the greatest ODI innings of all time? We discussed it in our group. In fact, I think we were discussing it for the next three days or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, you've presented a solid case over here. Of course, all our viewers and listeners, whatever medium you're watching or listening to this podcast on, you guys can decide for yourself. But for me, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that was the greatest ODI innings of all time. And dare I say it might also remain the greatest ODI innings of all time because we don't really know how much longer this format is going to last but uh, yeah thoroughly entertained one of those world cup moments those magic moments that will forever remain etched in history we're never forgetting this the highlights reel icc if anyone from the icc is listening to this podcast can you please make a video of each four and each six and each dropped chance and lbw shout off every ball i mean yeah i think they missed a trick by not just putting out every ball yeah um, as a highlight reel for this because and also, what you would do is you wouldn't just show every ball. You would stop to show the cramps mm. and him smiling and everything else. It, it was, I, I don't know what they did for their highlights packages or, or anything else. But um, look, I know the video that we put up on this topic mm-hmm. has, I don't know, 450,000 views. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason being is we captured the moment, I think, quite well. Mm-hmm. And it's not an easy moment to capture because it was, 
I, I mean, I remember when it finished, just thinking to myself, what the hell am I going to write about this? And, you know, I've had that feeling, you know, Harmon Preet uh, was another one, you know, Headingley 2019, uh, World Cup 2019. Like sometimes you're just like, the, uh, the moment is so big, you don't even know which, where to tackle it from. Mm. Um, but the truth is that we haven't seen many things like this ever in cricket. And uh, it was a remarkable, it was, I would always say it was a remarkable 24 hours, right? Like mm-hmm. people couldn't let it go. It just, it just stayed with people. And let's also point out to here that it would have been equally fantastic if Afghanistan had beaten Australia and put themselves in position to go into the semifinals of this World Cup. Yeah. It's a weird situation looking back on it, but it had Maxwell stood on his stumps before that last ball and then Zampa and, and Hazel would have been bowled out. It still would have been fantastic. Yeah. Right? Like it was, it was drama in every single sense of the word. And, you know, it was it was drama when Afghanistan were dominating. Um, it was incredible when they stretched their innings out to get mm-hmm. it to 291 and everything else. Uh, just um, you know, and we haven't even talked about Ibrahim Zadran making the first hundred for uh, Afghanistan in a World Cup. Yeah, it was in the middle of them playing all those great innings back to back and chasing and everything else. Um, and you know, I think part of maturity of uh, you know being at a World Cup is also having your heartbreakers on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Like Afghanistan have a pretty good heartbreaking story now. We didn't make yep. the World Cup semifinals because Glenn Maxwell played one of the greatest innings of all time. But I'm sure when they'll mm-hmm. re- retell it, they'll say the greatest innings of all time. Yeah. And uh, ICC definitely needs to make a movie on this. And yeah, put that highlights package out. Let us enjoy because it was pure theater. And uh, yeah, one of the finest innings ODI cricketers I've ever seen. And I mean, it is the finest for me. And whatever it is for you but uh, yeah it was great fun talking about it and thank you for every or thank you to everyone for tuning into this episode of the footmarks podcast we'll be back next week that's all for now and on a final note all i'll say is that rizwan mohammed rizwan said sometimes it's cramps sometimes it's acting well on that day it was just motherfucking maxwell that's all there was to it and on that note we'll say goodbye see you guys next week Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a t- please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orajoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Feeling lazy about promoting your podcasts and videos? Memento FM has your back. Their seamless platform cuts and promotes all your content effortlessly. It's laziness approved. Try Memento FM today.